ESPN LA 710. Welcome to ESPN LA. I'm Laferne Cusack. The 2017 Angel Cities game, which is LA's first Paralympic sports competition for wheelchair, amputee, and blind athletes, is taking place June 22nd through the 25th at UCLA. And here to talk all about this is Michael Garofola. He's Angel City Games Director, Coach, and Athlete, and also at UCLA. And Clayton Freck, co-founder of Angel City Games and Angel City Sports. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. How did you both get together in forming Angel City Games? Michael? So um, I'm an adaptive athlete. As you said, I'm, I'm a wheelchair athlete. I've been an athlete for about 15 years. Um, but about three and a half years ago, Clayton and I uh, got on a phone call and Clayton was asking who does adaptive sports over at UCLA and in Southern California. We got on a phone call and basically shared our experiences with adaptive sports throughout the country, events we've been to, competitions, and we just spoke about what, what our visions are for Southern California and, and beyond uh, for adaptive sports, how we can grow this movement, but especially in Southern California. And we we talked about having a competition somewhere in Southern California, and I work at UCLA uh, for UCLA Recreation Adaptive Programs, and we decided to bring it and pitch it to UCLA, and UCLA said yes to host the Angel City Games, and now we're doing our third uh, third annual. And Clayton, tell us how you got involved and why. Sure, yeah. So so my journey in, in the adaptive sports world started about 12 years ago when my son Ezra was born, and he was born uh, missing some... Uh, missing his left knee, left fibula, and uh, missing four out of five fingers. And we did a, uh, an amputation of his lower leg when he was two, uh, actually and transplanted one of the toes from a foot that uh, we were moving and put it on his left hand. It's a pretty incredible transformational surgery uh, for a little guy to be able to now pose and hold things on his hand. And he's always loved sports. Uh, he got you know his first prosthetic when he was 11 months old, but he got a running blade as a four-year-old, and he was – you know, it's been basically just keeping up with the with uh, the able-bodied kids playing all kinds of sports and uh, football, basketball, soccer, you know, you name it. And four years ago, I took him to the Endeavor Games. It's very similar to Angel City Games, a great event in Oklahoma. And, you know, we had a blast. He set a couple national records in a couple track events. And, you know, I just asked that question. Why do I have to come to Tornado Alley in Tornado Season? to do these sports, to, you know, run, jump, and throw things uh, on the field. And started out, started me on my journey uh, to create better opportunities for, for kids, veterans, adults with physical and visual disabilities uh, in Los Angeles and, you know, greater Southern Cal. And as Michael mentioned, uh, you know, I, uh, I think I emailed, you know, some folks at UCLA just saying, hey, who's doing, who's doing adaptive sports there? Uh, and, you know, Michael and I's visions, I mean, honestly, like perfectly aligned. That's so cool. And uh, in, in terms of adding more competitive opportunities, but then also supporting athletes in the journey to get started, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that ongoing training and development. So there's a lot of needs, there's a lot of gaps in, in the sports landscape for our community. And I mean, honestly, he's, he, you know, he's become like a brother because we just share this vision of what this should be and what the opportunities should be uh, for our athletes. I think that's amazing. It's, it's like you guys, like you said, you guys aligned and here you are three years later and it's, it's going strong. 
Michael, can you talk about how important it is for para-athletes to play with able-bodied athletes? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it levels the playing field uh, in some ways. So uh, at UCLA and Angel City, we have a lot of experiences where able-bodied, uh, whether it's adults or kids, can jump in, let's just say, uh, a wheelchair basketball chair, and they could try wheelchair basketball. And it, it really, it's it's a humbling experience for the able-bodied guys and girls, but as soon as that's over, it becomes just fun, and everyone gets to try it. It's there, it's no different than putting a pair of cleats on for soccer. It's just a tool to to allow us to play uh, the sports. Um, but I think it's a great way just to level that playing field. You can do it in in many different sports. In tennis, um, you can you can sit in a chair, or you could actually stand up and play up down. One up player is standing up, one other player is in a wheelchair, and the same team on the opposite side and. You know, you could ski on the same on the same slopes with all this adaptive equipment, uh, with your friends, with your family, with your wife, with your girlfriend, whoever. Um, it's just it's a really it's really good. It's it's making it less of you know a thing like here here are the kids with the disabilities and here's all the able-bodied people. It's allowing us to mix within the community, and it's not such a big deal. It's kind of more mainstream, uh, and it's becoming more mainstream. Uh, you know, usually day after day. Can you guys talk about how the thought process has changed since 2015 to now? How how has the organization changed and the participation? That's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I'll, I'll take a first stab at it. I'll let Michael try as well. Uh, you know, so I, I mean, I think we, when we came out of the gates in 2015, the the vision was pretty simple: let's host a Paralympic sports competition. Right, we started with a couple of sports: track and field, wheelchair basketball, uh, and uh, and so you know the vision of that event is growing and expanding. And we'll talk. I'll talk about it a little little bit. But after that event, we realized we couldn't just be a one-hit wonder, right, and have one event a year and think we were serving the community. And so we kind of rallied our troops, and you know, the, uh, 2016 hosted uh, five. Uh, clinics to just get people started and exposed to sport and connected into the existing programs in the community. Uh, and, and then this year we're kind of doubling down again on the clinic side and, you know, we'll have probably 12 different uh, adaptive sport clinics throughout the year. So our goal is at least once a month, we got something on the calendar for our community, a new sport to learn, or if they're already playing that sport, they come and get some additional training or they mentor, right. The new athletes. So that clinic infrastructure throughout the year is really important. And then we are building an inventory of equipment that we can loan to equipment, I'm sorry, to individual athletes or bring into other programs that want to offer a, a different sport. And so that equipment piece is really critical, especially for the seated athletes, because there's a special chair for every sport. Uh, and then the, the second layer of that, of our evolution, and it's a particularly uh, obvious with the games, the industry games coming up and how we're running this is exactly to your point of the power of, of, of an able-bodied person to, to be able to try these sports out and see what it's like. We're really working hard this year at the games to, to have some activities where everybody can be together. Um, and, 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 and an able-bodied kid or adult can, you know, as Michael said, jump in that wheelchair basketball chair. I mean, we're building with Sport Court, one of our partners, a, a basketball court, specifically for our guests to be able to try wheelchair basketball, mm-hmm. right? And there'll be a bunch of other experiences, like you can put on a blindfold and try to golf in our little golf oh, area wow. uh, with First Tee of L.A. 
We'll have a table tennis uh, table. You can, you know, put one arm behind your back. Imagine playing table tennis with with one arm. So uh, we'll have an adaptive rowing area. We even have a, a curling station where, you know, you could try uh, wheelchair curling. You know, just do curling, but from a seated position. So there's just going to be a lot of fun, experiential things for everybody to do. Uh, and then, you know, we have our celebrity wheelchair basketball that Saturday night, which uh, now, now we're bringing in able-bodied celebrities, right, to try, uh, which is going to be really fun. And then the last thing that allows us to come together as a community is uh, we're doing a, a fun run, just a little charity run, one mile around the, the Drake track at UCLA, so it's four laps. And that's going to have adaptive athletes, able-bodied athletes. Uh, and, you know, some will try to run fast or roll fast. Others will take it casually in a stroller. But just trying to bring the whole community out uh, to support what we're doing and learn and connect with our athletes in our community. That's excellent. And how can people find out more information and attend? Uh, really easy. Angels, AngelCityGames.org is our event portal, and it has a tab for volunteer sign-ups and a tab to buy tickets for the different special events or just come check it out and, and, and be part of our experience zone. Uh, and there's a lot lots going on. And then uh, athletes, uh, registration for athletes ends Sunday at midnight. But, uh, but you know, if, if anybody sneaks in, that'd be great, too. Michael, can you talk about um, having this organization on the campus of UCLA and how that has helped Angel City Games? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that Clayton and I um, discussed in the beginning when we first met, uh, Clayton always had this vision of, of of having just a nicer facility. And, and in my own experience, I'm not saying we weren't at nice facilities, but we weren't at as prestigious of a facility. We would go to rec centers and, and places within the community when we would go to these tournaments. Uh, for me in particular, wheelchair basketball. Uh, for Clayton, uh, more of the track and field stuff. But we just wanted to allow young athletes, old athletes, um, just, just an opportunity to see especially young athletes, hey, I can come to a university like this. Um, I can be a part of something, you know, this big and this beautiful. And we feel that, that the UCLA venue just kind of gives a little bit of that. And I, I really believe, and I think it's been said that it, it helped uh, a couple of weekends ago bring the 2017 National Track and Field Competition out to UCLA. They just did their national event aside from what we're doing. Um, so I think it just helps. It helps LA. I think it helps us for the the 2024 or 2028 bid for the Olympics. Yes. Uh, Cause if you, if you get the Olympics, you're getting the Paralympics and just to show that we, we can handle this type of, of event and, and athletes with this physical disabilities. I think it's a, a great opportunity and a win-win for all of Southern California and especially LA. So can you guys talk about the equipment some more? Um, how do you guys go about getting it or does each participant, each athlete, do they bring their own stuff in? How is it funded? Clayton? Uh, you're asking all the right questions, oh, so okay. we, we love it. Um, so I know on, on the UCLA side, uh, we have a fleet of uh, wheelchair basketball chairs. We have about 14 or 15 wheelchair basketball chairs. Um, and as Clayton said earlier, Angel City Sports is starting its own inventory of push race chairs. Um, we have some uh, throwing platforms for uh, individuals who cannot stand, who want to throw shot put or discus or javelin. Um, so we're we're grinding. I know Clayton is doing a, an amazing job of fundraising, but we're Angel City Sports is a nonprofit, so we're out there just grinding at, and donations and, and just making partnerships with different different places, different businesses. Um, but basically, just 
again, grassroots programming, going out to all of our connections within these different uh, companies who, you know, do wheelchairs, basketball chairs, tennis chairs, uh, and, or race chairs, or these throwing platforms, and just whenever we get money in, trying to get a size that will fit, you know, most people. Um, and then, as Clayton said, just knock down these, these barriers to access, and, and equipment is a big one. You need, I mean, I keep mentioning the same things, but you need a chair for tennis, you need a chair for wheelchair basketball. In Ezra's case, he needs different legs for different uh activities that he does and he's a running leg if you're an ambulatory or a blade runner as we call them if you're a thrower a sitting thrower you need a throwing chair and and this stuff is is not cheap this equipment is very expensive and it's also very tough to store it you know we're all in la some of us are in apartments or houses and before you know it you have a room full of adaptive equipment uh so there's a few different uh, barriers to access that we're trying to to help conquer here right i come from a business background right where you your goal is to sort of put the other guy out of business, right? And uh, moving into the nonprofit world, you know, full-time the way I have the last couple of years, it's just a totally different mentality, yeah. right? <laughs> you really want to rise all boats. That's right? what I was going to say. Don't put it, right? You don't want to put anybody out of business. Uh, and so I think when you think about the, the equipment issue, right, we, we actually, uh, you know, we're really trying to think strategically about what equipment actually is already out there and what could we complement, right? So an example is, you know, Michael's got 10 or 12 adult, you know, basketball chairs that he stores at UCLA and we use for our events, uh, et cetera. So that wouldn't be the first purchase, right? My, our first purchase, ne- our next purchase, I would say, right, we've already bought some equipment, would be some junior chairs, uh, yeah. right? So we can accommodate, you know, kids, you know, kids of all ages, you know, and that, that can be leveraged by UCLA or other programs around the area. So. So what we see as an opportunity just sort of strategically from an equipment standpoint is to be sort of a central hub or, or depot to loan the equipment right to either the individual athletes or other programs to expand. And so this is a missing link in, in a little bit in the adaptive community, which is every individual athlete sort of hustles for grants to, to cover equipment, right? And as Michael said, you could have this garage full of equipment, right, over time. And I think that's really inefficient, right, from, mm-hmm. from many, many perspectives. I think it's a lot more efficient to be able to borrow a chair for, you know, a, a year or two and really determine, are you serious about this sport? Uh, and, you know, and then if you really are serious, you go, you go and buy it or you, 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 you get the grant to it's acquired on your own. Uh, but there's sort of this hub of equipment that's moving around. Uh, and, and so I think there's a lot of power in this, this model, and I think that we're going to find uh, some really nice momentum in supporting this community on the equipment side. And, you know, just it just happens to, to be that I, I spent a bunch of years in the in the party rental business, so I actually kind of like this rental model. Uh-huh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I do think that there's a place for us, uh, you know, uh, in, in kind of filling this gap in the adaptive sports landscape in terms of the equipment puzzle, right? And we've talked to most of the athletes. This is a significant barrier to sport. Right. Um, when you say rental, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't each piece of equipment have to be customized for each individual? Yeah. So I know on, on the chair side, it, again, an- another great question. On the chair side, you, you, you're able to play in it um, when you get your, your own chair. If you, get, you, know, if, you, if you have the funds to buy your own or you get a grant to purchase your own uh, piece of equipment, like, uh, for instance, a tennis chair, they are measured to your size, and depending on your disability, there's a few, you know, height uh, 
things about height and the way you sit, basically. But basically, you're correct. They are measured specifically for you when you purchase your own. But for a lot of athletes to get an idea to start, like when I started, I borrowed a chair from from a company called Performax, who does uh, sport basketball chairs. And Willie, the owner, was kind enough to lend me a chair, and I played in it. And it wasn't perfect, but I definitely figured out how I wanted to sit. I spoke with other athletes with similar disability disabilities, and I kind of formulated the way I sit now. So, yeah, you're correct. But for, just to try it, um, a lot of athletes, and we have different, again, different sizes, different shapes, different heights. Uh, mm-hmm. So I could pretty much fit an athlete as best I can with, with what we have. But there are times if you just don't fit in it, um, that's not going to work. And like Clayton said, a great point that he brought up was if you put a little guy in one of our adult chairs, he's swimming in it and he's really struggling to really kind of capture the sport. Um, some of the chairs are adjustable, but there, it takes a lot of time to adjust them. And then if, think about it, if you're adjusting it, if you're running a program, you have 10 athletes and you have to adjust 10 chairs, half the time is spent adjusting the chairs. So a lot of times you, you get them as, as best you can. And, you know, duct tape and foam and things like that become your best friend and you just kind of make <laughs> yeah. it work. Make it work, exactly. And go out and mm-hmm. play some games and have some fun. Again, how can people participate and take part in the Angel City Games? Angelcitygames.org. And we, we, want, we need volunteers, we want athletes, but we also want people to come out as spectators just to come see it. I mean, it's, you're going to have five six different venues at UCLA. Um, you're going to have five different sports. You're going to have, like Clayton said, uh, it's called an experience fun zone. So you can have an experiential um, zone where you can try out some of these sports, uh, watch some track and field, some throwing, some running, some jumping. Um, we're doing wheelchair tennis, wheelchair basketball, swimming, archery. I mean, there's plenty to see, plenty to do. Um, so in any way, a volunteer if you're an athlete uh, with a physical disability or if you just want to come and watch, just go to angelcitysports.org and we have our site is pretty comprehensive. You'll, you'll find where, where you need to go to volunteer, to be a spectator or to be an athlete. Ezra, I mean, and I'll just throw, I'll just throw in one more plug because it's, uh, it's another fun thing that we have the privilege of doing in Los Angeles, which is have a pretty strong, you know, celebrity and VIP presence throughout the weekend. And so we've got, we've got over 20 different celebrities and uh, former and current professional athletes doing our celebrity wheelchair game. We've got another 20 plus Olympians and Paralympians, many medalists uh, from both Paralympic and Olympic games over the years coming to help coach and be part of the games. Uh, We've got over a dozen former UCLA athletes, that are joining us as well, football players, basketball players, et cetera. So, you know, so that's no, just what, right. What a blessing uh, to, to be in Los Angeles and be able to, to bring in uh, folks like that, you know, sort of high profile athletes and celebrities to, to help us grow the movement. And so, the, you know, they will be, you know, kind of integrated throughout the, the games and certainly at the celebrity game as well. No, Clayton, Ezra is your your son, the Chief Ambassador and Youth Council Lead, and he has TeamEzra.com for more information. Can you talk about how he's going to be incorporated in the games as well? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, so he gets pulled in a lot of directions <laughs> once we get the games going uh, because a lot of the media attention tends to uh, go towards, towards him. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, he'll, he'll be actually – uh, competing in 
uh, and participating in the track and field. Uh, I'll probably do the archery clinic on Thursday uh, and, and probably a, an event or two in the swim meet as well. And, you know, the, I think that the, the most important role that he plays is really as that ambassador and mentor. So, you know, he spends a lot of time uh, with the, the little kids uh, that come out to the games. And then he also serves as, a, as an important uh, mentor uh, for, for adults. Yes. that have acquired a disability. And it's important for for folks that have acquired a disability that maybe are struggling with their future and what, you know, uh, their new reality to see, you know, uh, a kid like Ed that just didn't never knew any difference. Right. Right. And it's just, you know, just making it happen. And, uh, you know, smiling, positive, having a great time uh, and just sharing you know, kind of positivity uh, with everyone. And so, you know, so we have a you know we have a, a bunch of ambassadors uh, that sort of do that, and, and Michael's an incredible ambassador for us in in helping people see their future and what they could do and achieve in sport as well. Uh, but that, I think that's you know that's probably the most important role he can play is you know be there on the ground and you know kind of ensuring everybody uh, you know has you know has a great time and and can. Uh, visualize where they could go in their lives through sport and beyond. I I was watching a program a couple years ago, and this father was talking about his his son, which who was born with a disability, and he was extremely sad that he would not. Well, he was saying I I won't be able to teach him um, to play soccer or sports or this and that. And I'm sitting there going, What are you talking about? There's there's nothing stopping you from doing that. He's he's still there. He's still your son. You, you can do it. That might sound incredibly naive. Can you speak to that when you have this, you know, beautiful son that's born and your dream is to play sports with him? Yeah, I I, I can address this one head on and Michael's heard the story, but so when Ezra was born, it was a surprise to my wife and I that he had any, you know, limb differences. And, you know, so we, we didn't have a lot of time to process in the hospital. And, uh, but, we, you know, we got some really good advice at the hospital that actually we almost followed to a T over, the, you know, the kind of the following five years. But I'll tell you my journey. So what happened with me was I had that same feeling of loss as that father did. Because I had always imagined I would surf with my children. And I, I grew up in Santa Barbara, right? So, uh, you know, big surf town. And that just was always what I imagined I would do with my children. And I had never noticed an adaptive surfer. I had never noticed anybody at the beach with any kind of physical disability. I guarantee they were out there. Yeah. I just didn't notice them. And so, it, you know, and, and Michael can speak to his journey as well. And this is very interesting, his story. But, you know, I spent the summer that as was born and I would go out. I would go surf, and I just I wouldn't really catch waves. I would sit there and cry, and was processing right this change in in my life, yeah. and uh, and sort of this different journey. And the the, the beauty of what happened with me was uh, I you know this going surfing and then sort of not catching waves and sort of processing it actually forced me to figure this out, right. And so what I did was I started, you know, looking around the web, and this was 2005, so the web was, you know, in existence, and, and I started emailing people that had sort of some connection, 
And I just, you know, I just was very fortunate to get, get connected to a great organization that we work with, the Challenge Athletes Foundation. And they had a, an elite one-legged surfer who surfs pipeline and Indonesia and all these amazing breaks on one leg coming to this event in Diego. And so we took Ezra down to this event, this little five-year-old baby amputee, uh, and and I went surfing with this guy, Pirata, the pirate, and uh, and and he literally changed my life <laughs> because I went from that feeling that I would never do something with my son to realizing that was uh, that was a you know it was an uninformed perspective, right? Right. And that if this guy's surfing pipeline, right, and charging on one leg. My kid's going to be able to do whatever he wants. <laughs> yes. What about you, Michael, your experience? Yeah, so it, it's funny because what you said earlier about that father, it's I was that kid who was the, you know, and it's funny because every adaptive athlete before a traumatic injury was an all-star and the, the greatest athlete on earth, but I was a pretty good athlete before I was injured in a car accident when I was 15. Um, but I thought that was it. This is it. There's Sports are gone. No more water skiing, no more snow skiing, no more basketball. Um, and it, it's funny because it really ties in to what we're doing. Um, and as Clayton said, like it's it's no, that's a normal feeling to to feel that loss and to not think that there's anything for us. And part of what we're doing with Angel City is trying to make sure that there aren't gaps like that. So my story got injured when I was 15 years old um, in 1990. I was a car in a car accident sophomore year of high school um, and for 13 years didn't didn't wasn't involved in adaptive sports I thought it was just sports for you know I just kept thinking the Special Olympics and I didn't think that that's where I fit in Um, long story short I'm from New York I moved to LA in 99 I got to LA got a brochure in 2003 for a wheelchair basketball team sponsored by the Los Angeles Lakers I looked at this brochure and I couldn't believe that, that this was happening. I called up the guys, went down to a gym in East L.A., and they, they invited me down to a practice, and I was blown away. I, I had no idea that there was this whole world of adaptive athletics. Um, I thought it was, again, just go out there, do the best you can, and whether you make a basket or miss a basket, everyone cheers for you. And this was the opposite. Guys were <laughs> talking trash and guys were being physical, and these were these were athletes, and so, I, again, I, I was in, in this world and had no idea wow. that this other world existed. So part of, part of our whole message is we don't want anyone sitting on the sidelines for, for 13 years or even for a year. Um, we want athletes to, you know, if it's a traumatic injury or in Clayton's case with Ezra, if it's, if it's a congenital uh, birth defect or whatever it may be, we want this information and we want these things to be readily available. No one should be should be, you know, missing out on 10 years of sport. It's kind of a right for us to be out there playing, and, and we're trying to do the same for these guys, girls, uh, adults, kids, whoever. How have you guys seen the uh, publicity or um, the view of, of adaptive sports? H- has it changed much along the years? I mean, you're going from not knowing anything about it to – well, you, being on ESPN and you you guys have been everywhere. Uh, you've been on a lot of TV shows and stuff. Like, have you found that there is more people wanting to know more about what you guys are doing and how they can take part? Yeah. So I just know in, in my experience, um, 
we are, a, you know, I'm going to plug ESPN. We are a sports center nation, right? We want the crashes and the dunks and the, and the fights and all that stuff. And I think we've gotten better at, at telling the stories of, of athletes and showing that it is sport, that it is competition, that Ezra is an athlete, you know, first and foremost. He's many other things, but I'm an athlete as well that happens to sit in a wheelchair. So I think we're doing a better job of, of telling the stories because I think in our cases, sometimes, you know, the competitions don't speak for themselves. Yes, if you're watching elite competitions, it's engaging and there's some incredible athletes. But I think it, it's about the stories just as much as it is about the sports. And I think we're doing a better job of telling these stories and not forcing people to feel bad for, for myself, for Ezra, for these other adaptive athletes. We, the last thing we want is for people to go home and, and in my case, let's say, feel bad that you're able to walk and I cannot walk. I mean, that's ridiculous. We just want you guys to know that I put my sneakers on the same way as you guys do, maybe it's a little different, but we, we're both doing the same things and we both aspire to the same things. Um, so I think, I think the evolution is getting there, but you know, that's part of what Angel City is doing as well. Um, and, and Clayton and all of our team at, at Angel City and beyond, there's a lot of great programs across the country, but it's really just, just telling the story in a, in a normal way and, and saying, Hey, these, these guys and gals are athletes and they want to play. They want to go out there and play. They're, they're not, you know, charity cases, and, and you're making an investment in someone's future when you invest in one of these athletes or these programs. Because I know I could speak first, uh, you know, firsthand. It, it changed my life. Uh, for me, sports was like a rebirth. When I rediscovered sports, um, it's giving young kids, you know, it's, it's allowing them to be positive and, and gives them self-confidence, and there's so much to it. Um, I know Clayton can speak to that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's definitely changed, but we, have, we still have a long way to go. Michael, can you say that the Lakers saved your life, <laughs> your athletic life? Yeah, honestly, uh, honestly, it's really the guys. Uh, well, the Lakers, yes, absolutely, for <laughs> for investing uh, through the. It was through the Youth Foundation, Lakers Youth Foundation. They donated to to our team and the community. But really, it's it's the guys on the team, and mm-hmm. these are these are my friends for life. These are these are older Mexican guys that I'm I'm friends with that took me in and, and called me Mikey. Um, and they really were willing to pass the torch because they had been playing for 20-plus years. And that's a lot of what we find in our community is a lot of these programs, they get, they get a little stale. Um, the older guys want to hang on and not teach. Uh, maybe it's not intentional, but they're just not teaching the next generation how to go out and, and fundraise, how to run these programs. And in my case, I was fortunate enough that my friend Oscar, uh, he passed the torch to me and he allowed me – to, to start running the team as well as playing for the team. And, and it really did, as you said, it did change my life. I mean, it, it led me to the path that I'm on. It led me to UCLA adaptive. It led me to all sorts of sports. It led me to my, my current girlfriend and hopefully soon to be fiance. It led me to Clayton yeah. and Ezra. And I mean, our, our, not, not to plug our team, but our angel city team is, is unreal. There's, there's probably, 20 or 30 or 40 of us uh, that are in the trenches all donating our time and energy. And, and it's Clayton has assembled, uh, I mean, a team that's, that's really an all-star team of people with, with the same kind of goal in mind. And Clayton? Yeah, I just would add a couple of things. I mean, uh, you know, the, the media is incredibly important to us, right? Just kind of at a strategic level because, the awareness about Paralympic and adaptive sports is extremely low. And Michael mentioned Special Olympics, right? So that's just a great comparison. 
amazing organization. They've been around for 60 years. They're global. It's one brand, right? They did the World Games at, 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 in L.A. two years ago. Mm-hmm. They have national events. They have regional and local events for people with intellectual disabilities. doesn't apply to amputees, spinal cord injuries, cerebral palsy, uh, sort of the more mild and moderate versions. Um, I mean, there's just this, you know, the visually impaired, I mean, the list, uh, you know, even stroke and traumatic brain injury that looks like cerebral palsy qualifies under our, our system. I mean, the list of physical disabilities and, and visual impairment is just so long. It doesn't, it's not part of Special Olympics. It's separate. Our community, if you say, you know, from the age of five and up, is it represents about 10% of the U.S. population. So these are extraordinary numbers. But the awareness isn't there. There's not one brand that you can kind of connect to. We all use the adaptive sports, you know, uh, word to describe what we do. Mm-hmm. It's just a sport that's been adapted through equipment or rule changes to accommodate, uh, you know, these athletes. But we don't have that one brand to hang our hat on like Special Olympics does. And so each region of the country and even within each region, everybody has to sort of build their own brand, right? And and so we see this as, as you know, frankly, it's, it's, you know, it's probably a strength of ours, you know, even being a really young organization, uh, sort of positioning our organization to be the place where we can kind of, we'll connect you into the resources. We'll get you started. We'll, we've created a competition that you can kind of look forward to throughout the year and hopefully train for. Um, but we know we can't be in every gym. We can't be in every pool and track. But we know we can get you started and we can mentor you and help you along the way. And then we can create, you know, really fun cool and competitive opportunities for you as well. Uh, But that, you know, the media is absolutely critical. I would say it is changing. It's changing for the better. And I'm going to point to two reasons why the media is doing better. So the first is, you know, uh, you know, there's ESPN hosted, uh, put the Invictus games on TV last summer, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And so it exposed people to, veterans with disabilities who are competing in sport during the Invictus Games. So that's Prince Harry's organization, and they were in Orlando, again, on ESPN, so great coverage. A lot of people saw that, so that was very helpful. Uh, and we got some of those athletes that competed at the NC Games last year. Um, and then we have the Paralympics that happened in Rio. So this is the Paralympics two weeks after the Olympics, and we had 70 hours of programming on TV uh, with NBC this past fall. And so people saw, right, people saw this TV coverage, whether they saw Invictus or they saw some of the Paralympic Games. The last piece of this is the LA 2024 Olympic and Paralympic bid. So we're trying to bring the Olympics and Paralympics to Los Angeles. And I would tell you, the team at LA 24 has really embraced the Paralympics. They've embraced the Angel City and what we're trying to do. And they're really sharing the word and the messaging that it's it's a a combined bid, not Mm -hmm. just the Olympics. It also includes the Paralympics and they're weaving, you know, Paralympic athletes and Paralympic ideas and, and, and the branding into their communication strategy. So for us in Southern California, this is incredibly helpful. So if we get the Olympics and Paralympics, this is, you know, this is just going to continue to build for us. So again, the sort of the TV coverage that we got last summer and in fall with, with Invictus and, uh, and the, the Rio Paralympics, and then the 2024 bid has been really helpful. But again, we got a long way to go yeah. build a brand that everybody recognizes the same way you recognize Special Olympics. Right? Oh, you got cerebral palsy. Oh, you you just you know you just acquired a spinal cord injury. You got to plug into Angel City Sports. They're going to help you along your journey. 
Right. And one of those things like uh, so longtime friend Howard Broadwin is your VP of marketing. And he's come on the show several times and introduced me to um, Angel City Sports. And he talks about the marketing and and how a lot of nonprofits do not know how to do that. And um, he goes around, you know, saying, "Okay, this is what you as a nonprofit have to do to brand yourself. You're not just a nonprofit. You are one, two, three. You know what I mean? How has Howard aided in that branding of Angel City Sport? Absolutely. Yeah, he's been he's been a really really helpful. I mean, he's a you know he's part of the brain trust. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like Howard. Can you hang around with me a while so I can learn some more, please? I know because he because he actually you know because he kind of came. He found Adaptive Sports uh, through a, a, a sister organization of ours in town. Uh, the Disability Sports Festival, and uh, and so you know, we, you know, our journeys intersected about almost four years ago, uh, and and so yeah, so he's been incredibly valuable because he brings sort of the strategy, right? Which is, we have to build a brand, we have to be better at communicating what the message is, and really clearly identifying how you know the target audience, and and just sort of you know, kind of cleaning up our strategy and our messaging, um, and. You know, and I think all of us are aligned on this, which is this can't just be a nonprofit, right? It has to have a brand. It has to be a movement, mm-hmm. right? We have to be ubiquitous, right? Because if if the census is correct, I mean, I don't know why anybody would lie on the census, <laughs> right, about a disability. Why? Right. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, if anything, you underreport a disability, maybe, right? If you're worried that it's mm-hmm. gonna, someone's going to find out something about you or whatever. But so I don't think people are lying on the census, but these numbers are staggering. So the people are out there, the community is extremely fragmented, right, and diverse. So this, the importance of marketing and building that brand and the movement, right, cannot be understated because we get confused with Special Olympics because no one's ever heard of it. And in many cases, these athletes have been told they are not even, they can't even do sports. Right. Like some people leave the hospital thinking, you know, because the doctor that doesn't realize anything about adaptive sports tells them, yeah, you know, you're not going to really be able to do sports anymore. And this happens all the time. People get terrible advice. Yeah, I know. Way, I know. Right? Yes. And, and it's just not true. We can adapt any sport. Trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we yeah. can. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, Dr. Clapper here, he has a show on the weekends, uh, Weekend Warrior. He was talking to me about how athletes now, because of the technology in surgery and in science, a lot of athletes are becoming bionic. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so on it, a lot of that technology is on the prosthetic side. I mean, they, they've had sea legs or computer legs for I don't know how many years, but there's some, I mean, it's unreal. And some of the stuff for individuals with spinal cord injuries, just the, just the technology that we use to get around. I mean, I have a little a drive that I borrowed from, from a friend uh, who runs a, a mobility company and it, it literally hooks in Bluetooth to your, to your uh, watch. And it, and it assists me if I'm going up the hill in my everyday chair. Um, but even, even just, just the technology for, for chairs and this is not as high tech, but you're talking about, you know, basketball started in about 1948 um, and chairs were what we call dinosaurs, uh, the old hospital chairs. And now we're in these titanium chairs with 
snowboard straps and, and cambered wheels and these high-tech wheels that are, you know, protecting us and, and just the, the whole kind of idea of adaptive sports um, has morphed because of the, the technology, whether it's leg technology or chair technology. But the bionic stuff, I, I don't know that much about the bionic stuff. Um, I know that's more in, in everyday use. Guys and girls are, are walking, and it's great for circulation and things like that. But I know in our game, just the technology of the actual equipment, I mean, it, it's come a long, long way. And it's, it's actually elevated the game. It's allowed the sport to, to really, really take off and become an elite I know I'm looking at a picture of Ezra and he looks really fast and I, I'm saying, okay, I cannot run against him because I know for a fact <laughs> he would leave me in the dust. You're so funny. <laughs> Clayton, can you talk about Ezra and his prosthetic leg? The technology? Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, no, it's a really interesting question uh, on in terms of, you know, it, at some point, does having a disability and using technology, you know, th- does it actually give you an advantage, right? Oh, so, yes. You know, there, there's like, Wait, the, what, so, did, what was that? The, uh, the, uh, it's uh, an unfair advantage. Remember that? Yeah, point? So that's a really, so this is a really, this is a political hotcake. Uh, and there's a, there's a couple of very interesting uh, you know, data points that one, well, everyone will remember. So, you know, Oscar Pistorius, who ran in the Olympics for South Africa in London, uh, and you know, won won gold in the 400 in the Paralympics as well. So, you know, he was sort of he was told by the International Olympic Committee that that he had an an unfair advantage being on the the you know on his running blades, mm-hmm. and he had to self. And this is just my recollection of that story, but he had to self fund the research that proved otherwise. So that you know, the sort of the the word on the street is that so the original research that the IOC was looking at was not was didn't sort of look at the whole system, the biomechanics, the whole system. Uh, so you know, being the father of an adaptive athlete that's missing, uh, you know, kind of his knee and 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 lower leg and foot, it's extremely hard to imagine that this running blade that returns maybe eighty percent energy is is somehow going to surpass having a leg. Mm-hmm. Right? It's extremely hard for me to imagine that. Uh, and maybe I'm not very imaginative. I don't know. Uh, but uh, but if, if 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 these athletes had that capability right now, they would have all the world records. Right. In my opinion. So I'm not sure that's we're there yet. Could we get there again? Maybe. Uh, but it is it is a very interesting question, and it's even interesting. Is there something that could be learned and gained from the prosthetic industry and applied to able-bodied athletes to give them supernatural powers and skills. But right? don't, but That's don't you, really... yeah, but don't you think if, if we played together more that the level field will rise because like able-bodied athletes aren't able to do certain things that, you know, athletes are able to do, you know, with a prosthetic and therefore they learn something different from each other and improve their game. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. You're sort of talking about the, you know, it, it's a, it's a debate within the adaptive sports community, and it's, we're, I'm going to get a little bit esoteric here, but there's a bit of a debate within our community about whether we should just fight to get our athletes included in existing programs and competitions, or do we need to create our own programming? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, to your point, including these athletes into existing competitions and infrastructure 
is a great idea. It really is. And I think you're right that over time, you know, it, it could be a kind of an accelerator of the movement, right, at many levels from awareness, from a technology, from just that sense of being part, part of society and being included in things, right? Yeah. Um, but we are really far away from that moment. Really? Uh, and so, you know, Michael and I's strategy is, you know, th- there is there is nobody really listening to our pleas to add in these athletes. <laughs> really? Um, right. So, well, I mean, that, that, that's a little dramatic, but it's not happening on a large scale. Uh, there's been some nice movement recently, but uh, but but we we feel like we need to create our own you know, programming, and then over time, you know, make that case to do, to include our athletes in so existing uh, existing uh, infrastructure because that's without the guidance and the mentoring and the coaching and the equipment and all the things that we're giving them, they wouldn't even know how to plug into, right, an existing organization because yes. the organizations just don't have the skills. I mean, the average high school coach knows nothing about the Paralympics and how to coach an adaptive athlete. So, you know, I mean, this is just sort of one of those interesting challenges. And I think Michael and I would share the belief that we have to build it and then we'll use that as a platform to advocate and get it included. But when we do that, we will bring the resources to the table to help make it happen in the right way. Yes, that's that's excellent. Michael, can you talk about what we are going to see at the Angel City Games coming up? Well, I can, like, echo what, what Clayton was saying. There's going to be a lot of Paralympians, a lot of elite athletes uh, mentoring and teaching uh, these guys and gals how to do these sports. And then you're going to see a lot of existing athletes who have now, you know, this will be their third games and, uh, you know, are competing in and around our communities and, and beyond, you know, for 10-plus years. So it's it's just a really, really cool blend. Like Like Clayton said earlier, it's a blend of, elite athletes and, and like we call newbies, guys and girls that are trying it for the first time. Um, so you're going to see guys that are, are competing at a high level and you're going to see uh, people that are trying it for the first time. And, and for us, you know, it's really a little bit of both. I mean, I get excited when I see a new athlete. And like I said, Clayton said earlier, um, Ezra is out there. And, and it's easy for Clayton to talk talk well about Ezra, but he really is unbelievable. And to see Ezra with a young a young guy who is in the similar situation doing the same thing and really the support and the, and truly, truly supporting these athletes. I mean, you're going to get a little bit of everything. You're going to get some, some big personalities out there. We have, I know I have a friend, uh, Matt Scott, who is a, a gold medalist this past uh, year in the Paralympics for, for wheelchair basketball. We have Trooper Johnson, another friend of mine, um, who's an old school basketball player. We call him one of the OGs who's kind of paved, paved the way for us, but just a really great blend of athletes, blend of personalities. Um, and then you have this, you add the celebrities, you add our team who, you know, a lot of our team again is, is weaved in to different parts of this, this, uh, competition and a lot of volunteers, tons of volunteers, um, who have now and hopefully have, will have been with us for more than two years, um, mm-hmm. just out there helping and, and grinding away. But it's a, it's a really kind of eclectic mix of, of personalities and people and styles. And it's a really great event. And Clayton, can you tell uh, our listeners if they would like to be a volunteer or participate? Uh, what would that entail? Yeah, absolutely. So there, uh, if you go to angelcitygames.org, and there's a volunteer tab, and there's a there's a list of all the different uh, volunteer roles from helping with check-in to actually being 
integrated into the sport clinics and, and competition. Uh, it's kind of the uniqueness of our, our model is you can come learn and then compete in these sports. Uh, there's, you know, obviously lots of logistics. We've got, uh, you know, kind of, you know, marketing, media wrangling, all different types of roles. Uh, and, and the roles will really start, uh, you know, start Thursday morning as we get the archery uh, program launched uh, on Thursday and start building the infrastructure out for the rest of the weekend. But yeah, there'll be shifts going from, you know, 6 a.m. on Thursday, you know, all through the day and even in the evening, uh, and then all the way through Sunday, Sunday afternoon. So we'd love people to, to take multiple shifts because then actually we can give them kind of leadership roles and give them an area of responsibility. Uh, but we, we have over 800, I think it might even be over 900 volunteer shifts over the, over the four days. So just an incredible, uh, you know, volunteer effort and uh, be honored to have, have uh, any of your listeners come out either as volunteers or, or just spectators, right? Just to come out and, Support. and, you know, see what we're doing and participate in, in our experience zone and meet our athletes. And, you know, what, what, what we're really turning this, the Angel City Games into is uh, it's really community building and it's an opportunity to learn more and engage with this community that isn't really aggregated and organized, right, in, in any, you know, in any significant fashion, uh, you know, in other parts of the society. So we're kind of doing, you know, organizing through sport and a great place to learn uh, and meet some new friends. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you on, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Clayton Freck, co-founder of Angel City Games and Angel City Sports, and Michael Garofola, Angel City Games director, coach, athlete, and manager of UCLA's Adaptive Recreation Program. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm Lafern Cusack, and this is The Experience here on ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.